checking your checklist sitting sitting with a sense of something purposeful just about sitting no mental addition to it feeling the body sit being much more receptive to how that is feel sitting body what makes it steadier more comfortable sitting it's the spinal cord spinal column coming out of the sitting position holding the body up and that's sustained by the lower back gathering of energy in the lower back you do that just by getting interested in your lower back how that feels and just doing that energy will collect there give you strength so that you can gradually relax your upper body your shoulders your neck your chest and the degree to which that becomes possible in your breathing will become more evident and longer the breathing is not long don't give it attention Give attention instead to the posture of your body. An attitude of mind, peaceful.
as the main obstacle to sitting, breathing is thinking. Or we say when the mind door opens, speedy, discursive thinking. So keep your eyes open, that's the case. Focus on the wall, simple blank object, so your eyes are restful. That will help to give you to stop just feeling flooded by the mind. The main hindrance or main obstacle is when the breath becomes faint, say towards the end of the out-breath. Can't quite, it's not so strong, so the mind slips, attention slips away from it. So just recognising that. And so you often then you use thought, not thinking about other things, but thought to remind yourself, okay, simple thought, breathing out, out, out. So you, you add a line of very simple thoughts, word out, out. It's going out, so it helps you to give you something to hold on to. And then pause, and then in, in, in. As long as it's, as long as it's coming in. So you use the thinking mind to very simply. Put a mark on the breath to give you something to hold on to.
really though we are say tracking the breathing process of course the aim is uh, to gather the mind in a skillful simple steady way so it's to be gathered with patience goodwill Yeah. Sometimes it calms down and sometimes it doesn't. But we maintain that attitude of patience. Simple, simple, brief, repeated effort. And this always pays off long run because at least if there are powerful thoughts or emotions coming up we're not acting on them we're maintaining a, a hold on conscious being conscious not being impulsive and Sustain that over time, the tides of thought, agitation, emotion will tend to move through. We're still there, breathing in and breathing out. All that changed.
in the process of that, uh, you really begin to understand the need to not turn back and you know, wonder why it was this and why it was that, or criticize or get frustrated or feel this isn't working or all this extra mental proliferation is the cloud of it just you just put your mark down it works it works it doesn't work keep the sense of patient steadiness return relaxing proliferation identification success failure getting it right getting it wrong all these are mental attributions the breath breathing is not right or wrong it's neither a success nor a failure it's just what happens Gently lift your attention, breathing process, if you've been able to be with that. Just once again, return to the sense of the physical body, the weight, the warmth, pressure, the movements in that. vibrant, pulsing, shifting, surging, sometimes heavy experience called the body. Be aware of the edge of it. So there's this body and then there's around it there's space. No pressure. There's the edge of the warm, heavy piece and there's this space around it. 
enjoy the space. And uh, so we'll lift out of the that meditation session. And take a moment or two, see if anything seems helpful to inquire into, to ask a question, so make a comment or seek a, seek a reference if you want to. put a chat box take a little while and I'll uh, mm -hmm. look at those and see what I can do So we have here a question, a person asks, when we see or feel someone is suffering, how can we turn it back to ourselves? Do we check and inquire about how we feel about it? Yeah, that seems a good way to approach it. What happens when you see someone is suffering and are you sure? suffering what gives you that impression feel distressed agitated or weeping or they feel looks like they're making signs of feeling miserable uncomfortable how does that feel so if you do that you'll probably experience some kind of something in your heart begins to move And then you become aware of that movement of uncertainty or stress. Take it in. And first of all, make sure you establish your own um, ground, by which I mean that person's suffering is not yours right now. It's there, so... Establish so you're aware of your body here. You've got some kind of anchor. Does that make sense? You can feel your own body here and you can feel this movement in your heart. So when you bring those two together, you're aware of your simple stability of your body. You're aware of what you're experiencing in your heart. Breathing in, breathing out, till you come a little bit more at peace with those signals and impressions in your heart. Okay. And then you look again. How can I help this person? Can I help this person? Maybe then you might ask. So there's a sense, certainly there's compassion there, but we need to also find a place where we can stand back from it so we're not just uh, adding to the problem by getting anxious and worried and, you know, 
um, any more uh, complexities to the, to the experience. So you really want to you want to be the person who is not suffering, and just sometimes being that in the presence of another person helps him to feel your steadiness, your calm, and that they pick that up and that helps them. So you don't always, um, you know, respond to people suffering by saying very much, apart from expressing an interest. You can't change somebody else. You can't get inside their heart and fix it. You can't reorganize their life. You shouldn't. It's theirs. But you can provide a sense of a calm, open presence that's able to listen to that. And just that alone has benefits. Sometimes something you can say, sometimes there's just the expression of concern. That helps. You don't have to come up with an answer. And it's sometimes the case that we, we look for answers and really there aren't any answers. They're just, you know, it's ideas, but there's a response. The response is... Oh, how are you? Tell me more. How does that feel? That's already establishing a sense of concern, interest that the other person may be able to pick up. And maybe they can't, maybe they're just still agitated, so perhaps you say it again. Maintain that calm presence, relate to the person you know, say a few words and see if your steady energy, they can pick that up and maybe that helps them to find their own stability so they can then, oh, you know, calm, mind calms down, they're able to see where we are suffering. We have to see it for ourselves. You can't say to somebody, oh, you know, you shouldn't worry about your daughter, it's just her life. You shouldn't worry about this. You can't, you can't, it doesn't work. <laughs> you just let go of it. No, that doesn't work. It's, a, it's, a, it's an idea, it's a good idea, but it's only an idea. It doesn't actually work because an idea is not a direct, felt relationship to the person talking about it. And so it's so important to move to direct Empathy, sympathy, rather than advice. Then maybe when that empathy is, is established, there's the possibility that through talking things over with the other person, some wise ideas will arise mutually, but they have to be the other person's ideas, because that's where the source of suffering is. You can't place your idea in there. Understanding the definition of not-self. Not-self means that um, the various experiences that happen arise from causes and conditions rather than from a person. So, you know, the language I use is not my language. It's the English language that's been generated over a thousand years or so. It's not mine. Um, The ideas are coming from the Buddha, not mine. The body 
arises because of earth, elements, food, water, it's not mine. I can't say get stop getting old, it does what it does, it's not mine, not under my control. Yeah. Uh, I can't even find out somebody living inside it because I'm not aware of my liver, my gallbladder, my lungs, I can't feel them. So where am I in this anatomical body? It's not I'm not in it. It's not mine, I'm not in it. So I thought, okay, maybe I'm in my mind. All these thoughts running through. Can I say, okay, now I'll have a wise thought or a clever thought or stop thinking? No. Thoughts arise because of causes and conditions. You know, they're not mine. Mm-hmm. And I can witness my thoughts. Now, if I can witness my thoughts, I am the witness, not the thinker. Right? Thinking is happening. I am witnessing these thoughts. So there's a me there, it would be the witness of the thought rather than the thought. You can't, right? So, but then if I try to understand, well, if I'm the witness, where's that? I can't find anything. If I could say, is that witness? Is it six foot tall? No. Is it English? No. Is it a man? No. Is it a thought? No. What is it? It's the awareness. Well, who's that? Doesn't have to be anybody there, does there? It's just that. You don't have to have a self in order to exist. Things manifest. You don't have to have a person creating them. They're just there. Now, why did the Buddha teach this? Because when there is that sense of this is me and this is mine, various kinds of unstressful conditions occur. You know, one feels unhappy about the nature of what arises because it's me I wish I wasn't like that Over who's proud of what arises I'm me I'm better than everybody else that causes stress yeah or we keep wondering what am I what could I be what will I be what was I what's my true nature that sends you into a spin of confusing thoughts so the best thing is just to stop concerning yourself with self and look essentially at suffering, stress, and how it arises, how it passes, and what supports that. So we're saying mindfulness supports it. Is mindfulness mine? Nobody else has it? Nope. Is it I am being mindful? Nope. Mindfulness arises in the mind through direct practice. Now you may say I am being mindful, but when you try to find out who the I am is, what do you arrive at? You arrive at a certain intention, certain energy, certain aspiration. You might say, well, I'm doing that. You keep doing you can keep creating an I on anything. You can create keep creating the I am. I am being mindful, I am meditating, I am living here. But you don't have to. If you don't do it, you're not wasting your energy holding on. That's what the I am experience is, is a certain attachment to situations. Then when they pass, I've lost it. I was it and now I'm not it. I was mindful and now I'm not mindful. What's wrong with me? Suffering. Suffering. Instead, we say, oh, mindfulness has dropped. What are the causes and conditions that give rise to mindfulness? Okay, well, put that aside, put that aside. But don't have to think who's doing it, because 
it's it's you're turning your attention to the wrong aspect of experience. Move on. How can one stay in a place of love when one feels constricted by a situation out of one's control? Um, well, when you feel constricted, mm, a situation out of your control, mm, it's time to experience or begin to stop trying to control things since you can't do it. Mm, since you can't it's out of your control, you're not in control. So you give up trying to do what you can't do, which is control things. Right? Now what's going to happen? All kinds of unpleasant, chaotic experiences will occur because I'm not able to control things. That's why I want to control them. Well, if you, you can't control them, you have to instead meet these experiences that you'd like to control but can't. And you meet them with a mind of no aversion. No blaming, no criticizing, no fighting, no running away. Yeah. So that, that experience of meeting things without aversion, without running away, but, but actually meeting them and feeling them without aversion, without restriction, we call that love. You could call it something else if you like. Um, it's a, it's an experience of the heart, because when things are out of, out of our control, we generally feel some suffering and stress. And why we try to control things is to stop the suffering and stress of, of unpleasant experiences. Give up doing what we can't do. Then we have to experience some suffering and stress from unpleasant experiences. How do you deal with that? Find your body, breathing in and out. Mm -hmm. Turn against agitation. Experience instead begin to open the mind. Everybody experiences this. Everybody experiences not being able to control things. Everybody experiences things they, they don't like. Oh, it's not you. There's nothing wrong with you in particular. Open the heart. You don't like it. But while you're experiencing those unpleasant feelings, just getting upset about it makes it worse. So instead one accept, one turns towards non-aversion, non-resistance non-fighting, non-agitation, non-identification. It's just the way it is now. And it's very encouraging to cultivate a mind of increasing goodwill and compassion in order to maintain one's stability in a world with a lot of unpleasant, unsatisfying feelings in it. Somebody is experiencing burping, what causes that? I don't know, actually. It could be a gastric complaint, it could be a nervous reaction. If it's a nervous complaint, then if you keep your 
awareness quite wide and it's spacious. Feel the, like you're sitting in the room around you and you're aware of that sense of space. That may help your nervous system to calm down. If you're walking up and down and that, that condition ceases, you're not doing it, you're not burping when you walk up and down, that probably tells you it's nothing to do with your intestines, it's something to do with your nervous energy. So continue walking up and down until the mind becomes more calm, steady, and then return to sitting. And you know, keep things pretty soft and peaceful. Someone's asking about perception, feeling, sankara processes. Okay, so when uh, the nature of experience direct experience what happens how do we know something's happening <laughs> let's say i hear something okay that's called contact let's say you hear something sound hear something then what happens oh it's a bird that's called perception oh it's Ajahn speaking that's called a perception the sound doesn't say that you interpret it, the sound is just the sound, it strikes the ear, the mind goes, oh, what's that? Oh, that's Ajahn Sachito speaking. Oh. And then you maybe get a feeling, oh, I feel pleased because I like him, and I like what he's saying. Feeling, perception, feeling. And then maybe, oh, I want to hear some more. That want to hear some more is called Sankara. It's an impulse, an activation. Or it could be, I don't enjoy what he's saying. I've had enough. I feel irritable. I want to switch it off. That's a sankara. That's an action. That's an activation. So that's how they occur. First thing happens is something strikes and then you perception. It's happening all the time. So we we see things, we see person maybe. Oh that's Lee. And you maybe feel, oh, oh nice, haven't seen her for a while. Or it could be, oh, there's the boss. We feel a bit anxious because mm, he's generally complaining about me. You know, that, that's a perception and it carries a feeling to it. You know, and then there's some kind of mental stirring that occurs. That mental stirring, the beginning of an impulse, that's sankara. There's the activation happening. You know, and um, when these activations are just instinctive, they're operating according to learned habits learned habits so I hear something pleasant I want to go to it actually it's not the sound isn't pleasant you're finding it pleasant your mind perceives it as pleasant if we go to it more of it it's just the sound it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant in itself it's just the sound but you find it unpleasant because it's two o'clock in the morning. I want quiet. Yeah. So that, and then the result is shut it off. So we have these habitual tendencies, impulses to follow the mental feeling. The, the feeling of the sound has come from the mind, not from the ear. So the mind has said it's pleasant, the mind is pleased by it, the ear doesn't care. 
So the mind is constantly creating these uh, opinions, these uh, preferences. Because it creates these preferences, it triggers activation to get rid of what we don't want, have more of what we do want. So it triggers this activation. And so it gets really busy and often disappointed because still I hear things I don't like to hear. I see things that distress me. I don't like that. I don't want that. Is it possible to just, that's a sound, that's an idea. It does give rise to unpleasant feeling. Check the impulse to act upon it. For now, just for five seconds, what happens? You check the impulse to act upon it. Mind pauses, listens, it's open. Who's that? Stay with that because that there's no suffering in that. Hmm, that's interesting. So then we check the impulse. Awareness opens up. So instead of reacting from an impulse, when you engage with the process, you step out of the process, go to awareness. And from that place of awareness, you might then, hmm, what's a proper response that comes from cool, dispassionate, stable awareness rather than from my reactions? Right, so I think response is to just, um, you know, ask someone, could you, I'm trying to sleep, could you turn it down? I'd really appreciate that. Rather, oh, stop it. You know, or it could be, oh, well, maybe I'll just relax a little more. Or, you know, but you're finding you get a response coming from an aware place. Or sometimes when you open into awareness, you don't really mind anymore. Your feeling of, preference begins to fade out it's just the sound you know monastery people get upset if somebody's mowing the lawn they can't meditate because somebody's mowing the lawn what they're doing it as a service so my opinion that's good so i don't even hear it i mean i can hear it with my ears but my mind doesn't go there there's sound going in the background so what it doesn't go there other people thought, oh, I can hear that lawnmower. I listen, yeah, I can hear a lawnmower. So what? <laughs> you know, you find when the mind builds up these preferences, it becomes ex- extremely sensitive and attuned to phenomena that, that activate it. This is a strange thing. Because you think you'd just be attuned to that which is comfortable. Right? Attuned to that which is comfortable when it's happening and stay in that. So you find out where's your most comfortable place. I think my most comfortable place is sitting still, breathing in and breathing, whatever it is. Yeah. And so if that's internal, there are no lawnmowers inside my body <laughs> or inside my mind. They're, they're outside. So if I stay in that listening quality, there's no lawnmowers in there. 
is just the sound, the openness. Oh yeah, all right, if I do focus on it, I can hear that. But if I don't focus on it, it doesn't, it's kind of somewhere in the background. But by and large, we get so um, involved with every sight, sound, thought, people, what people are doing, that mind's constantly going out there to all these phenomena, trying to make them, you know, da, 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 change them. And you can get, you know, quite busy and defensive, trying to change the world, trying to work the phenomena. And maybe it's just better to just find another place to be. This is called disengagement. It doesn't mean you're stupid, but you know, this is where I, I cannot complain about people and things because I'm in a cool, steady space in myself. Well, there, then, you know, I can act from a wiser, more compassionate place than if I'm just getting upset or, you know, by perceptions and feelings. These are habits. So you begin to change your habitual responses to one of the first responses to stop, check, relax, let go. Second response, come to a place where you feel stability and skillfulness. Stay there. So this way you begin to dismantle the way we create suffering for ourselves. Yeah. Now, somebody mowing the lawn is not intending to make you suffer. They're not doing it out of some vicious, malicious intent. You know, even if a bee stings you, it's not really, it didn't get out in the morning with an aim to sting you, it's just reacting. So you getting upset about it isn't going to change anything. Yeah. Okay, that's just... That's what happened. Um, uh -huh. I can't control the world, but I can get some control or relaxation of my impulses. I can, you know, things can still be painful, but they don't get at me. Things can still not be the way I want them to be, but I, I'm out of that. I don't have to invest in the way things have to be. You know, because you're finding, you let go of that, so you can experience more peace of mind. That's how it's opportunities for awareness come through understanding these aggregates and their power to whip up suffering and stress if they're not properly managed. And this is your, your home base. Wherever you go, they'll be there. Whatever country you're in, they'll be there. Those, those perception, feelings, sankaras. You can't get away from them. <laughs> yeah, so you have to manage them and dismantle the, the suffering they can create for you. There's nowhere to hide. And so this is the no escape uh, diagnosis. Yeah. It does encourage us. You can handle them. If you couldn't handle them, the Buddha wouldn't have mentioned it. If there was no way out, the Buddha wouldn't have taught it. There is a way out through that awareness of these aggregates uh, and how they operate. And they're always acting on a, a blind assumption which is that I am, and I can control things. It doesn't work. You don't need to control things. You need to let go of things. So someone saying, during sitting, direct the mind to notice space, so distinguishing the changing nature of the body as opposed to the unchanging nature of awareness mind. 
space similar to this neutral nature of the jitta but still is a perception to me what is the purpose in being able to sense space it is a perception uh, the nature of, of jitta mind as i've said in this previous instance it, it does pick up perceptions perceptions of what stir it yeah jitta doesn't see anything or hear anything taste anything or touch anything it just receives impressions of those it receives the meaning of those it receives that's hostile or that's urgent or that's important or that's lovely you know so these are perceptions it picks up those that's what it tunes into now if you pick up the perception of space space is not urgent space is neither important nor not important it's not beautiful it's not ugly it's just space it's not fast it's not slow it's not anything apart from space what's the quality of space no pressure openness jitta picks that up oh space picks up that perception and it's an encouragement to relax other perceptions so it helps to it's a pressure release now of course one can say oh space i've really got hold of that that's mine i really want to be in space <laughs> but then you know we we've begun to destroy the space by clinging to it by filling it up with craving and ambition so it's there just as a, as a support, not as a final um, release. It can help the mind to relax a little bit. Okay. Can methodical body scanning practice training be helpful for training the mind? So in other words, drawing your awareness down, head, shoulders, arms, chest, down to the feet. Is that helpful? Or just trusting open awareness, whatever arises, is that enough? Or let go of doing, or a combination sometimes of the two. Yeah. You know, practice is a kind of individual thing, but I think uh, uh, the general body scan is a good idea. Because, of course, open awareness isn't necessarily always that open what's it open to what arises whatever arises well I'm, I would imagine that if one hasn't checked in with the body what arises will be thoughts emotions and so forth that's that's limited perspective so just, just checking in with the body, maybe most in terms of is it all here? I'm not necessarily endorsing a minute scan of every sensation, but is it here as a grounded, stable presence? This is the first foundation of mindfulness. You, know, you don't have to be that refined, just there is a body here. And so one of the phrases that's used in the first foundation is there is awareness just enough to know that there is a body here that's not that refined you know, you know it means you feel it you experience it you're aware of that that 
presence. And he says, this, you do not realize the deathless without mindfulness of the body. The deathless Nibbana is lost for those who do not have mindfulness of the body. And there are many, many suttas where he says exactly the same thing. Everything depends upon mindfulness of the body. Uh, yeah, and I'm not going to question why the Buddha is saying that. Uh, he says it very simply. Uh, because in that state of being mindful of the body, you'll be aware of what you need to be aware of in order to cultivate or to release now there's you know in the cosmos of all potentials there's a vast amount of things you can be aware of there's all kinds of psychic energies there are different realms of existence there are stuff that you find difficult to describe all there's tons of stuff out there esoteric occult stuff demons you know plenty of stuff uh, so you actually got to say, well, yeah, but you don't need to know that. You don't need to know what they're doing in the Brahma Loka right now. That's their business. You know, you don't need to know that. What you need to know is what's inside this packet of being embodied, because that's your business. That's your business. In that, you'll experience all the sense of joy, shock, love, compassion that you need to work with. You'll experience your suffering and stress within this embodied condition. I'm not talking about fingernails. I'm talking about being, if you like, very perhaps simplistically attuned to your body's nervous system. In that are all the codes embedded of the causes and the manifestations of the suffering and stress that you need to know about and that you can release. Right? That's what that's your work, that's your job. So we need to have that foundation in mind and, and remember there's plenty more things we could know. As the Buddha himself said, you know, I think Willa mentioned it, it's reference to the handful of leaves, he said there's many, many more things you could know, many more things I know. But what you need to know, dukkha, suffering, cause, cessation, path. In this very body and mind, you can find that. So make sure those fit together, and then you're going to have not just the path, but also the resources that arise from being my body. You'll have energy, you'll have clarity, you'll have discernment, you'll have samadhi, you'll have metta. You'll have these. These are where they grow. So I do recommend that as a fundamental foundation. Yeah. And from there you can experience feeling and mind and mental objects while remaining established on that foundation. So this is uh, <laughs> my advice on it. And so a bit of a body scan and surface and then is it balanced? Is it steady? Breathing? Yeah, just that check-in. Okay, so thank you very much. Uh, some questions. I hope this is helpful for you. Thank you.